It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Well, um, uh, you know, last Sunday, I didn't, I didn't finish my sermon. Did you notice that? And I even kept you a few minutes late, so if I can, I'll, I'll try to give you a few moments early out for good behavior last week, because nobody threw anything at me. No rotten tomatoes, so that's a good thing. Although someone reminded me it's not tomato season, so I guess that's maybe one reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, I gave you four words out of Second Timothy last week. Well, I started to give you four. I gave you two. And I uh, don't know if you remember that at all, but um, the words were guard, and it was endure, hang in there. The third one was continue, and the last one was preach. Now, I'm not going to preach on this, but I just want to give you those other two words. Uh, some of you like to fill in the blanks. Continue on in the faith. Good word for this morning. And, and preach the gospel. And some of you misunderstand, by the, by the way, you think you have to go to cemetery and have homiletics class and public. No, 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 no. You preach with your life. That's how you, your words make no difference if your life doesn't match, right? So, so someone said, you know, your actions speak so loudly, I can't even hear what you say. So preach with your life. I love a little poem I read years ago. I'd rather see a sermon than to hear one any day. Amen? All right, then let's leave. All right, so we'll all just watch each other. <laughs> yeah, so preach the word, but you do that through the way you live. And when you live it, what you preach, that's what makes the difference. Now, this morning, you know, I, I'd mentioned to you last week that um, I'm, I'm going to go into an arena, an area that um, might be a little more difficult uh, today. I want to address uh, maybe some of, well, a passage that's not the easiest passage to read. It's Romans chapter 1. Not a lot of pastors preach on Romans chapter 1 anymore. I I suggested last week that um, if you have children, uh, if it gets a little too heavy, you feel free to dismiss yourself. It's okay. It's not going to offend me or anybody else. However, some kids need to hear this, and and it's up to the parent to determine what uh, their children need to hear. Next week, it's going to get a little more graphic. Uh, Today, it will be graphic some, but next week, I'm going to delve a little bit more next week. So uh, this is going to be a two-week thing anyway, and um, it seems to me that pastors, they need to take time to address some of the more difficult issues, and not just the fun stuff, you know? I love preaching on the fun stuff. I love uh, preaching about grace and forgiveness. I love preaching about patience and joy and God's blessing. But sometimes... We need to give, well, consider the whole counsel of God, is what the scripture says. And sometimes that's not fun, and it's not easy. And, and this could be one of those Sundays that um, is a little more difficult, because even what you read is, is not fun to read. 
You'd rather not read it, especially in public. But it's in the Word of God. So it must be dealt with. And I trust my words um, and my heart will be bathed in love and not judgment. That My job is not to judge. My job is simply to preach the truth and do it in love. So I trust you since that in my demeanor, in my words, in my attitude. Um, that's important for me. And, and I do believe that a lot of people are hungry for pastors to speak the truth. Uh, we, need, we need support from our pulpits in, in the things we're facing in the world. Uh, parents come to me, young parents, and ask me questions. I have people call me and say, would you, would you have coffee with me? Sometimes they're staff members. How do I, how do I address this? I have grandparents address these issues, issues we're dealing with today that we don't want to talk about. Um, and students, I believe students, they deserve to hear their pastors speak about what the scripture says um, about issues we deal, they need to hear the voice of the church today. So, um, in short, let me just say this as I kick this off. It seems to me, at least in my own, in my own mind, that our world, our, our culture, our, our society, what you and I are living in today, we're experiencing some pretty drastic and dramatic changes. In behaviors, in morals, uh, that are impacting every avenue and element of our of, of our world, of our nation, our schools, our our workplaces, um, our social structures. And, and these changes are taking place so rapidly, so dramatically. And I've, I've touched on this sometimes in the past, but, and, and I'll throw this word out again because I think it's a good one. It's what we call discontinuous change. Uh, someone came up with this idea some time ago, but it's that there used to be a day when we can say, oh, I see that, that's, cha- that's different than we used to do it, but you could track it back to where it came from. Let's go to the horse and buggy. Well, the horse and buggy, all of a sudden, in the 1900s, early, someone discovered some kind of combustion engine, and they put some wheels on it. We go, and, and, and so now we got the wheels and the combustion going on. At the same time, you got the horse and buggy in the same streets. You could point back to where the change came from. Today, the change goes so rapidly, we go, how did this happen? Where did it come from? And, and I'm of a belief... Uh, uh, if I may say so, that I believe something spiritually is happening in the heavenlies that we're experiencing. We're in a different day. And if you understand how the Bible speaks of the end days, I believe that's part of what we're experiencing. And I touched on this, this last week a little bit. But um, it's happening so, so fast, it seems like our world is starting to spin, I would say, out of control and it doesn't seem like anybody has an answer for it. And so what does the Bible say? Um, you who are older, 
you, you probably have looked and seen some of the changes. You can recognize some of the changes. You remember when you grew up in America what it was like. You know, I don't know how many remember this, but I remember when uh, you could... Uh, you could buy a bottle of ketchup or some kind of condiment or something. You could just open it up and, and pour it out. I still remember the day when I tried to pour out my ketchup and, the, and it wouldn't come out. And I'm going, what's with this? Something's wrong with this bottle. And I took the lid off. And lo and behold, it's not only had the lid, but it had some kind of seal on top of the bottle. Now, kids, when I grew up, that you didn't have that. You know why? Because we didn't have those problems. You could trust the ketchup bottle hadn't been tainted. But then somebody started messing with ketchup bottles in the grocery store. And people had to, com- they had to protect themselves. We live in a different world. Um, so, so some of us remember this. When I was in school, I mean, uh, when I was in school, I remember uh, probably the worst, about the worst problems outside of a few skirmishes after school with the boys. Uh, Probably the worst problems the teachers had to deal with was chewing gum. You get in a lot of trouble if you chewed gum in class, right? How many remember this one? Oh, you brought gum, did you? You chewing gum? Well, in my class, if you bring gum, you got to bring gum for everybody if you're going to chew gum. Did you bring enough for everybody? No? Well, then spit it out. And if your teacher told you to spit out, you didn't run home and told your mom and dad because you'd get in trouble. That's the day I lived in. You get in trouble for running down the hallways or making too much noise in the hallways. Uh, But that's not today. Today it's about, are my kids even safe going to school? How did that happen? Um, What are they going to be teaching my children about sexuality? Well, I I don't know. When I was in school, I don't remember hearing anything about sexuality. It was all about reading, writing, and arithmetic. The three R's. Uh, something like that. <laughs> Today, it's, it's about critical race theory and gender identification. Uh, I know school teachers who've, who their children go to their school, but they've taken them out of their school that they teach in. And put them in a private school. Because at the age of five, six, and seven, they're teaching children they don't, well, they don't know what sex they are. Well, I I grew up in a world where it was rather obvious what sex you were. But apparently, the, the same rules no longer apply. I'm telling you, something's been released. When you look at the book of Revelation... And you see horses and you see wheels and Ezekiel and you see the timing of God. I'm feeling like something's happening in the heavenlies that's affecting the world. And we're watching it before our very eyes. So we're, we're left with wondering now, um, as we get ready to read this scripture. We're, we're left with wondering, um, have we lost our way? Let's, let's talk about America just for a moment because... Uh, the, not sure we can do anything about the rest of the world, but has America lost her way? Let me just give you a, a synopsis, and then we'll read the word. In 1962, I, I was 11 years old. Uh, 19, so now, unless you do, if you can do math, you can figure out how old I am. 
1962, the United States Supreme Court, they declared school-sponsored prayer unconstitutional. And even though I was 11, I still remember that. Because when I went to school, I remember some teachers praying in a secular school. But now no longer could you pray. It wasn't too long after that. The highest court in the land. They voted to remove the Ten Commandments um, from courthouses and, and public buildings. So the very laws upon which our government were built uh, were, th- were thrown out because they were considered religious. We no longer considered those valuable uh, or applicable. And, and it could be because the first one is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the reality is that that's one of the first things we've done is we've, we've turned our back on God. So then not long after that, in fact, it was 2015. Do you remember that when the highest court in the land voted, what was it, five to four to change the definition of marriage? Can you see, it's like the kettle and the frog. You know, they say, you, I've never tried this, by the way, at home, but they say that if you take a frog and you, you throw them in, in, in a, a, a kettle of cold water, you can turn the heat up on the stove and you can boil them to death. But if you take that same frog and you turn the water on first and let it boil, throw the frog in, the frog will jump out. And the idea is that you can slowly be cooked to death. And I think the same thing is, is true morally. You just keep chipping away at the morals little by little. And before you know it, the mores have changed. The way we think has changed. You just chip away at, at what is true. And, and, and you, later on, the truth becomes a lie. So in 2015, the definition of, of marriage uh, and, and same-sex marriage was approved. I still remember um, Justice Scalia writing the debate... Uh, the descending opinion. Uh, I, I read it a number of times, probably half a dozen times anyway. I read some of it to my congregation. It was a powerful defense for marriage on the Supreme Court. 2021, we begin to allow children to determine their own sex. And now, fast forward today, it's not just that, it, it, it just goes way far above and beyond. And now it, it seems to be sweeping through our whole culture where you walk into Target and, and Target displays transsexual tuck them in swimming suits. Something's upside down about that. It doesn't make logical sense. But sin never has. Um, so what do we do? What's, what's going on in America? And I simply ask... Um, is it possible that our nation, our, our culture, the society we live in, has lost its mooring? Uh, my, my wife and I have raised our kids around water. We've always had boats. We ski, we snorkel, swim, all kinds of stuff for fun around the water. Love the water. And I've watched in storms sometimes when guys didn't tie their boats down, what happens. And the winds come and they blow. And the knot begins to loosen up. And before you know it, that boat is banging against what it's moored to. And before you know it, it's come loose and it's, it's gone awry and, and no one can find the boat. It's not a bad picture of what happens when a nation might lose its mooring. 
So, so what, do, what do we do about America? What, what do we as average Americans uh, do out in Homedale slash Mountain View, Idaho, to make a difference? What do we think about all this? What we're observing? How do we respond? More important, what does God think about it? What does he feel? Um, well, in, in Romans chapter 1, Paul the Apostle, he, just, he discusses God's response to those who simply decide uh, they don't care what they're tied to, what dock. They don't care about their moorings or they want to change their moorings. It, it, it talks, he talks a little bit about God's response to those who simply decide they don't want God in their lives at all anymore. They're done with God. So let's get rid of the Ten Commandments because they talk about God. Let's, let's take in God we trust off of our dollar bills because we don't, we don't want to think about God anymore. Let's leave God out of the picture. These are pagan, by the way, ideas. They're pagan ideas. We don't need God. Because 98% of all people in the world believe in God. So, so when, when someone says, I don't want to believe in God, they're going against the tide. But that, that's what's happening. So Paul talks about God's response to those who say, we'd rather do without God. We, want to do, we don't care. Just leave us alone. Let us go our own way. And I want to warn you as we read it, in case you're unfamiliar with uh, Romans 1. It's not pretty. It's not fun. It's, it's not touchy-feely. Uh, um, but we must consider it again. It's part of the whole counsel of God. So Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 18 through 32. And in honor of the word of God, if you would. Now, the wrath of God is being revealed here. The anger of God, this is, we're seeing this side of the coin of God. His justice, his righteousness, his anger. And Paul says he's to the Romans, it's the wrath of God that's being revealed from heaven here against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I, I find that as a very interesting phrase. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Let me just comment a minute, because they're not stupid. They're intelligent. They're thinkers. God gave them a brain. And it's plain, it says, but God's made it plain. Verse 24 Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their fullest hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore, 
God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. That's what we're seeing today, church. They've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they've worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, the men who also abandoned natural relations with women were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, verse 28, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And so, therefore, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Oh God, what do we do with your word? When it gives us a picture into our own souls and hearts. As we open your word, Lord, today, bathe our minds and our spirits with who you are. Remind us, God, today we're not judges, but we are to be speakers of the truth. So, Holy Spirit, you do your work within us today as we just kind of assess where we are as a nation and as a people and what that means to us and perhaps the difference we can make, be it even eternal and redemptive. So, God, um, hide, if you've ever hidden, hide the messenger behind the cross, that we would see you, Jesus, today, and all that you've done for us to redeem us from our brokenness. And because of this, we will give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. Well, you know, they say, um, they say, and I know you probably know this, but it's important that I say it this morning because I'm going to show it to you here. If you want to know what's true in any passage of Scripture, just look and see what's repeated. Did you notice what's repeated this morning? Did you notice it? Uh, three different times. Um, he, he's, he says it over and over and over again. In this, what I would call one of the most graphic and comprehensive discussions in the scripture on being, can I say it, left behind by God 
It's an interesting phrase. Three times, within five verses, look at it. There's, a, there's this phrase, a statement, describing God's response. And that's what we're talking about. What's God's response to those who say, God, I no longer want you in my life? What is God's response um, to those who, who knew him, that says, those who are knowledgeable of his creative power, his divine nature, his holy character, uh, yet they blatantly choose to leave God behind. God, well, God, we're going on without you. They go their own way. Uh, they s- suppress the truth, and they applaud those uh, who, who do the same. Um, and may I just say, I, a little bit farther than maybe I, my thoughts, but it seems to me today that we, we have those in our in our government, in our world, who not only applaud, but promote. You see what I'm saying? They're not saying, well, it's okay. It doesn't really matter. They're saying, let's go for it. I was appalled a few months ago when I turned on a national, uh, a major television network, and the weather guy was doing an interview with transsexual girls. He was not only applauding them, he was approving them and promoting them. It made me so um, disturbed. I just stopped right there and I prayed. I said, God, if you don't save America, if we don't, if we don't address this. So three times within five verses, I mean, there's this phrase. It's in 24, look at it. 24, 26, 28, it simply says, here's the phrase, God gave them over. Now, now that's a scary thought. I mean, um, when when you do exegesis on this and you look at the where it comes from, it's 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 very telling. And again, if you want to know what's important in any passage, just see what's repeated. That's what they always told us in cemetery. I mean, seminary. You know, it's, there it is. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Three times, five verses. God gave them over, and a number of translations. Uh, Say God gave them up. He just kind of gave up on them. I mean, the translations, um, RSV, that's the Revised Standard Version, the American Standard Version, the English Standard Version. Even uh, the Douay Version, the Catholic Version of the Bible, says God gave them up. And, and I just find that as a scary thought, that God would give them up. You say, but oh, pastor, don't we sing that song? He never gives up on me. God's love never gives up on me. Yeah, we do. We sing those songs all the time. Never gives up, never gives up, never gives up on me. And that's true. That, that's true. God never gives up on us. Some of the scripture is plain with that, but um, that's especially true for those who are seeking God. Look, when you want God in your life, he's never going to give up on you. And the reality is, I believe God chases us. When we run from him, he chases us. That's all through the word. But, but somehow, you've you got to pay attention to this phrase. It's repeated three times. Paul is talking to a very pagan culture. And he uses this phrase, God gave them over. He gave, he gave them up. Um, th- th- this, is, this is those who are willfully intentionally, knowingly saying, 
I don't care. I don't care what God thinks. Um, God be damned. I, I just go in my own way. That, that's, that's who he's talking to here. Um, it, it, it's really no different than what we saw with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, Garden of, of Eden, where Adam and Eve chose their own will over God's will. God, we don't care what you said. We're doing our own thing. And by the way, I believe you see a lot of grace in that, in, in that passage. God looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, cool of the day. Adam, where are you? God, God knew they'd broken their commitment. You know, Martin Luther, I love the way he describes that. Martin Luther says the epitome of sin of Adam and Eve is what is sin curved in upon its heart. And he draws this circle, and it gets tighter and tighter, and right there. It's, it's, it's the heart curved in upon itself. I, I don't care what your will is for me. I'm going to choose my will. Now, that's what Adam and Eve did, but Martin Luther says that's the epitome of all sin. It's whenever we say to God, God, I want my will, not your will. Not my will, not your will, but mine. We sing that song, right? I just changed the words a little bit there, if you didn't notice. Um, One translation renders the phrase, uh, oh, I don't even want to say this. Abandoned by God. He abandoned them. The NIV, the Common English, the New Living Translation. They all have this this version. They are abandoned by God. It breaks my heart when I think of that because it makes me think of a father and a son. I I know of a, a young boy who was just six years, seven years old. He later on became a pastor. But he was a little boy. His dad didn't want him. His last memory of his dad was driving him down the road in a pickup truck. He came to a farmer's field. He saw a farmer on the other side of the fence. His dad got out of the truck, looked across the fence and said to the farmer, could you use a boy? The farmer said, can he work? His dad said, he'll work. Okay, I'll take him. Without another word, his dad walked around the back of the truck, opened the door, picked him up, lifted him over the fence, drove off, never looked back, and he never saw him again. And the pastor had to deal with those emotions of abandonment all of his ministry. Because sometimes you carry that crumola into ministry and it comes out in different ways. The pastor feels abandoned by someone. What are you going to do if you haven't dealt with that abandonment? Well, here... The translation is abandoned by God. And in my mind, that's even scarier. There's a finality to it. It's over. It's done with. The the message, um, Peterson's translation, says, God said, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. Wow. Uh, The New Century Version. I'm just trying to give you an idea of of what this all says. God left them. He let them go. And my own translation, left behind by God. Have you ever gotten to a place in your own life where uh, you had had enough with something? I mean, think about it. In your own life's experience, you've had, you just had enough. And And you know what it's like to say, I'm done with you. All right, let me, let me break it down a minute. All right, since you're... 
How about a dog? Anybody ever had a dog? And you go, okay, I'm done. One too many holes, right? One too many couches. I'm done with you. My, my wife's always been a cat woman. By the way, I'd like to tell you there will be no cats in heaven. <laughs> Just want to encourage you with that. No cats in heaven. We had a cat she loved when we lived in Idaho Falls. And it was a beautiful looking cat. And, and she loved the cat. I liked the cat. It was okay. Until it started doing something in the, in the vents. And I'd ask my wife, do you smell something when you turn on the heater? That cat went to kitty heaven a little sooner than it planned. (laughs) Have you ever been done with something? And you said, okay, I've had it. I'm done. And and you took care of business. I I think that's kind of what I see here, uh, this translation. Let them go. God let them just just let them go. Now now I want to stop here again and say one of the accusations against the church and pastors like me who do preach on these issues which is going to get thicker next week. Uh, if you don't if you don't know what I'm talking about you go to Leviticus 18 and you'll see. Um is that we are filled with hate. We're hate mongers. We're spewing hate. If you're listening online, thank you for being with us. We appreciate that. I trust you don't feel any condemnation, uh, any judgment. That's not my job. My job is to preach what God's word says. The Holy Spirit's big enough to do his own PR work. And he will convict you of the sin that's in your life, just like he does me. It's not my job to fix you. It's my job to preach what the Bible says. And I tend to be, even though I've got a doctorate, a fairly plain understanding of the scripture, I believe the scripture's true. I, be, I, I, believe, I believe you can count on this as being 100% true. Amen. So I have no apology when it comes to preaching this word. But I want to say, I, if you feel there's judgment or anger or bitterness in my heart, there's not. If anything, there should be compassion and brokenness for anyone who is abandoned by God. In fact, I never used this phrase, but it would be a good time to do it. Oh, my God. That could really be true. I've never probably said that phrase in my life ever that I know of except once. And that's when I found someone hanging by the end of a rope. And I didn't know what else to say. And it wasn't a swear word. It was a prayer. How could you do that? So, if anything, this ought to drive us to be broken for those who've lost their mooring. And it seems to me like it just happens to be our own America. Now, now I, I need to go a little quicker here, but I've only got a few minutes left, and I promise to let you out early. What is early? Can I get a witness out there somewhere? Where's Kevin? He's my time clocker, man. You help me out, brother. Let me know when it's two minutes till, okay? All right. So um, the question is, again, how does God respond when people who know the truth leave, blatantly leave him behind? God, we don't, we don't want anything to do with you. Well, let me give you a couple examples. Are you ready? You might want to write these down. The first one I want to go, Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. Let's go to the Old. Judges chapter, chapter 16. Samson and Delilah. Have you ever read that story lately? 
a Samson. In fact, a funny thing, while I was preparing this, this, this sermon, all week long, in my mind, has been Tom Jones. My, 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 Delilah. My, my. How many remember that song, huh? How many never heard it before? Where were you? I just sang it. Come on. Okay. No wonder why you hadn't heard it. In Judges, there's a story of Samson and Delilah. I'll let you read the whole thing. But when you come to verse 18, Delilah sees how Samson had told her everything. His, how, why he had strength, in other words. She sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come, come back once more. He's told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. His strength left him. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll just go out as I always have and shake him, shake him away. But he did not know that the Lord had abandoned him. He did not even know. The God of creation had abandoned him. He was asleep at the wheel. And you know the story. The Philistines seized him and they took him, gouged out his eyes. Judges 10. Since you're in Judges, look at chapter 10. To the sons of Israel, God said in verse 13, You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out. To the God you have chosen, let them deliver you in the time of your distress. Israel, abandoned by God. And the Old Testament goes on, I mean, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24. But since you rejected me when I called, and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored um, all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I will inter I will laugh at your disaster. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. When, when they call when, when they call to me, I will not answer. They will look for me, I will not find. The last one, they will eat from the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. You know, some people say that God caused nine eleven. I don't think that. But I'll tell you what I do think. Sometimes God takes his hand of protection off his people. We see it in the Old Testament. You want your way? Go ahead. Have it your way. And that's what we see here. Hosea 4.17. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Verses 17 through 19. Now that's the Old Testament. I mean, in the New Testament, Jesus... He's, he gives the same kind of thing. Jesus, Jesus says, Matthew fifteen fourteen. he instructs his disciples to the religious leaders. He's addressing Pharisees and Sadducees, their attitudes, behaviors. He says in verse 14, leave them alone. They are the blind leaving the blind. It seems to me at some point, when God is dealing with men or women or groups of people or individuals or nations who demand their own way, who live openly in violation against, thank you, brother, I see that hand. The moral standards, his word, they decide just to leave God behind. We're going to do what we want to do. We don't care. God be damned. The spirit of God, the scripture says, will not always contend with the spirit of man. Part of what that means is God's going to say, leave them alone. 
let them go on their own way. Now let me close this way. Um, take Judges chapter 10, for instance, where God's saying, I'm not going to answer. I've had enough. I'm done. In verse 15, the Israelites, they wake up to their sinfulness. Do you think that's possible for America to wake up? We, we need revival, church. We need revival. And that happened in verse 15. The Israelites, they open up to this. They say, God, oh, forgive us. They repent in verse 16. And God could bear Israel's misery no more. That's the true compassion at heart of God. He could bear their misery no more. And the scripture says that God, God took care of it. He, he turned and loved them. It's the equivalent of 1 John one night, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of the most beautiful promises in all of God's word. So how does God respond? Well, um, I've read about revivals um, over the ages, and it's an incredible thing when men are walking down the street and they fall on the pavement and just begin to weep because they're so under conviction. There's a spirit of going on in the world that's hovering. They got to close the bars down. They got to fire the policeman because there is no violence. That's what we've seen when revival hits. Is that possible for America? Well, we sure need it from what we've experienced. I look at these young ladies on the front row here, teenagers, and I, I just, my heart breaks for our kids who are watching a world. And uh, we need to pray, church. Amen. Amen. We need to pray. Be faithful. Speak the truth and love to your friends. You don't have to be angry or bitter or hostile or judgmental to speak the truth. But the word of God says this. What do you think about that? Let the Holy Spirit do his work in their lives. He is faithful. Now, Lord, we love you today. Thank you for who you are. We need you, God. And we look to you as your people. Lord, this infestation is even impacting the church. It's moved into the church. And without you, God, we're dead. We realize we can we cannot very go very far at all without your hand shaking us up, moving us about, Lord, bringing us a fresh revival of your spirit. God, could it happen again for us, for America? We pray it so in Jesus' name. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. Turn his face toward you and grant you peace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you, church, as you go. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.